0: Greetings in the name of Christ, and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to follow Paul's words in Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony in Christ through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord. I'm your host, Brady Finern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for You Anytime, Anywhere. We continue our study of the small catechism with the second article of the Creed, which richly proclaims the truth that is the center of our faith, the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going back to the basics. As we said in in Sunday school over and over again, what's the answer? Jesus. And you know what? Often we forget that we need to go back to those basics to make sure that we are getting a high, as they say, Christology, because when your Christology is high, you understand the world even better. So let's find out how this all is put together. Dust off that little blue or maroon, Christ-filled little catechism for the gifts are ready, ready for you. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Small Catechism up to this point to the second article, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Every day we hear from people around the world here on KFUO, and I want to hear from you. Where are you studying with us? We've heard from a number of you in Missouri, in Illinois, Texas, and also in New England. And so send us an email. Where are you listening to? Where are you listening to us? Where are you studying with us? And how would you hear about KFUO? Send us an email, KFUO at KFUO.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we have the joy and honor of having with us, Pastor Terry Forkey, District President of the Montana District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Forkey, welcome to Concord Matters.
1: Good morning, Brady and uh, all listeners. Great to be with you.
0: Yeah, so uh, Pastor Forkey, uh, we, we've we been together on Thy Strong Word, but this is our first time together on Concord Matters. So introduce yourself and, and uh, what's going on for you in Montana and your family.
1: Uh, I am, uh, of course, president of the Montana District. I'm also pastor of a couple of very small churches in Hartleton and Roundup. And um, I have uh, my wife. We have five kids. And right now we're raising also a granddaughter. She's three years old. Mm. And also my mom lives with us. So I am part of the true sandwich generation.
0: <laughs> well, you know, and it's a good reminder for all of us that uh, it's a uh, call it a blessed, a blessed time with your family. Can we say it that way? Blessed chaos? Is yes. that a right word? I don't know. What would you say?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things move pretty quickly around our house. So, <laughs> um, but God is good, and He takes care of us, and we're rejoicing. Amen to
0: that. And, you know, and I want to remind you, our listeners, too, that a lot of people that I've been on with in KFU, I've never met them in person. So it's really fascinating and our joy when I actually meet someone in person. So uh, President Forky, uh, Terry, I met him at our first council president's meeting and, and just had a joyous time. And he led an outstanding study. I think we got through like three verses. of uh, Was it First Timothy? No, Titus, Titus we were. the book of Titus and absolutely outstanding. So it is always a treat when uh, Pastor Forky is teaching the scriptures, and that's why it's a joy to have him with us today. So, Pastor, I'm ready to dig into small catechism. Are you ready? Let's go. All right. So a reminder to our listeners would be, we are starting with Luther's small catechism with explanation. This is the 2017 version. There's many versions, but we'll be using the 2017 version from Concordia Publishing House and we're on page 17. Now, I wanna remind our listeners too that when you look at the Apostles' Creed, it is the second article that is the longest by far. And uh, well, there's a reason for that because well, Jesus is a big deal when we look at scripture. So we'll begin by confessing and going through this little bit by little bit. So let us hear the word of God. The second article. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. What does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. As we confess this today, uh, Pastor Forky, I found it interesting that when you look at the creed, and you mentioned this before our time, it starts with, I believe. You look at the third article, I believe. But in this one, the creed does not say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but Luther does say that. Is there anything to that?
1: Absolutely. And I think it's important for for all Christians who confess this part of the creed uh, to recognize That I believe uh, is an important element of our life. That is the confession of faith. So there might be a little bit with that ellipsis in confessing the creed. We just go on. And in Jesus Christ, we might just kind of miss that point that we're saying again, I believe in Jesus. And the creed or the credo that's Latin for I believe must not be ignored. I I think particularly in today's world, uh, it is a confession of faith. And it's extremely important um, in view of the fact that uh, Americans, I, I would say that would be interesting to see if you agree that Americans have almost completely lost the concept of living by a confession. We have hmm. regressed to sort of a way of life of the, uh, the judge, the period of the judges in the old Testament where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's kind of how Americans live and, Living by a confession of faith is essential to the church. The the creed is a vestige of that kind of lifestyle of living by a confession of faith. It's preserved in the liturgy, which is great, (laughs) necessary. But on the other hand, I want to make the point that it it shouldn't be reserved to the liturgy. It should be spoken at all times, and it should be a, a regular part of our life, of our family, um, and, and I, and that's kind of the emphasis that I'd like to begin with today when we think about, I believe in Jesus Christ. So it's okay with you. Let me just kind of go on a little bit here. Um, I, I would like your listeners to, to think about when they confess the creed, their own personal confession, because that's how Luther's says it. I believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, when you confess the faith, you might be helpful to think in terms of the direction or the audience to whom you are speaking. And I'm gonna to suggest today that there are at least five different directions or audiences to which we might speak the creed. First of all, of course, to God, we confess to him that we believe. So in most of our liturgies, they're not all the way this way, but most of the time we confess our faith following the sermon. And so it's something like this. Having heard the God, word of God, we respond. The proper response to hearing the word of God is faith. So we say, in response to God speaking to us, we say to God, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy mm. Spirit. So we speak to God. We also speak to each other, Second, secondly. So Luther in a small called articles, writes about in the part 3 article 4 he writes about the mutual consolation of the brethren and i know there's a lot of debate about that but i'll just say it this way what better way to console one another than to confess the faith together hmm. so that's that's the corporate part or that's why it's in the liturgy the way it is we all confess the faith together and we are consoling each other we believe together third and this applies specifically to what i was talking about earlier Um, when I mentioned living by a confession, how does the world know what the church teaches if we don't confess it? So we ought to be thinking when I say, I believe we're also speaking to the world. This is our confession. Now you think about how the world thinks of the church today. Where do they get their concept of the church? Uh, Mainstream media doesn't do a very good job. Mm -hmm. So we speak to the world and, and, that's another way to use the creed that I think it, I think that's probably the main thing that I want to say. It's an area where we're really lacking thinking about confessing the faith to the world or living by a confession in front of the world. Fourth, I want to mention Satan is alive. He attacks Christians. How do you respond? I think this can be very helpful in, in times of, of need. Uh, I will bring this up quite often. sometimes, uh, in other teachings and, you know, people who are listening to me will say, well, we we say, get, get behind me, Satan, which is great. That's what Jesus said.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But <laughs> Satan can't stand the name Jesus. Imagine this. If when we feel that, uh, you know, we're in a dark alley, there's no way to go. Satan is tightening the noose. We say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And he can't stand it. <laughs> away he goes. So I think that it's another, it's a sort of spiritual warfare way of confessing the faith. Hmm. And then finally, it may not be finally, I'll just say my analysis, the fifth direction is to unbelievers. So I think every pastor will have this experience, a member, you know, talking about evangelism, sharing the faith member will say, oh, pastor, I just, I can't tell somebody about Jesus. I won't, I wouldn't know what to say. Or what if I said something wrong? And my response has been for years, I'll just say, well, do you know the creed? And they'll say, well, yeah, we confess it every Sunday. Yes, you know the creed. So why not just speak the truth to to the unbelievers as you confess it every Sunday? I believe in Jesus Christ and so on. So I think, I hope that... Kind of brief analysis of living it by a confession of faith might be an assistance uh, to the listeners about confessing the faith in the world, and particularly second article. It's all about Jesus. So let's let's say to the world, "I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord."
0: And 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 Terry, Terry one of the real um, what what's really powerful about what you said is. You talked about how our culture does not confess well, and if we do confess, it's it's uh, it's it's full of kind ofs, maybes, um, I'm not sure is, if you will, and it reminds me so much of Acts chapter seven, 17, excuse me, when Paul stands up and 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 he says, "Men of Athens, you know this is in Athens. I perceive that in every way you are very religious." <laughs> where I passed along and I even saw uh, a, an altar to the unknown God. And that's kind of how we are in American, what we call it, deism, where our confession, even at its best, leaves people like, I'm not quite sure what he or she believes. And that's why it's so important to be able to have this, not only for confession to the Lord, to one another, but also, I love how you said it, the unbelievers, is that you could easily tell somebody, well, I don't know what to say. Well, what do you believe in? I believe in God who created everything, and a and a and, and a son who died for my sins, and the Holy Spirit that keeps me in the faith. And that's, I mean, that that right there tells everything, right? <laughs> and, and that's the summarizing it. Now, if you get dig even deeper into, you got it, you got, you got a great evangelism tool right right handy everywhere you go. Any thoughts on that?
1: Exactly. Yes, and I just want to mention also uh, when I was talking about how we've descended it to that kind of. A judicial period during the Old Testament, where the judges were ruling and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It's exactly what we do now. You may have heard the the phrase, probably from my children's generation, has become very popular. You know, they don't say, "I I think the sun is shining" or "I think the grass is green." They'll say, "I feel the grass." Is green. Mm-hmm. We're, we're emotionally based, so we, that's another step away from a confession of faith. But Christians have a firm conviction. This is what I believe, teach, and confess. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So I I think it's it's necessary to do a little more talking about making a confession or living by a confession. And that would incorporate all those five different directions of of, uh, where or to whom we speak the creed.
0: Well, and this is... My encouragement, I know, uh, uh, Pastor Forkey has the same encouragement few you, our listeners, is to well brush up on the creed if you haven't known it well enough. And and this second article is a great one—one one for the um, foundation of your own faith, but secondly, for you to be able to describe the depth of the gospel, the depth of this Christology of our of our Savior and what He has done for us, and what that means for other people. I think this is just. This this second article, third article is all the articles are great, obviously, but but this one really is something that hits to the home of your own identity, and then therefore how you see the world and how you confess. I mean, it's just it's just pure gold as we look at it. So, President uh, President Forkey, as we look at this, right at the beginning, it's very clear about this Jesus guy. So that first paragraph, what does it tell us about him?
1: Yes. So I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Or and then Luther expands, true God begotten of the Father from eternity, also a true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. So when you look at the if you use as a supplement the large catechism, Luther begins with the word Lord and he opens up the text. I'm, I'm gonna shorten it here considerably, but he opens up the text of the creed with the word Lord and he says very simply Lord means to be, in this context, the Lord means to be. The Redeemer. And everything else he says then simply clarifies how that redemption was accomplished. So um, this Lord is our redeemer. He has redeemed us. And and let me just uh kind of riff on that for a moment. Hmm. This redeemed, and then uh, two words that Luther uses to explain that: purchased and won. Um so How does the redemption happen? He purchased and won us. So here's a parable that I tell to kind of help people think about this, what redemption means. And it it goes to the whole idea of the objective justification. That is that Jesus redeemed the whole world. So let me just tell this and see what you think. So there was a rich man that um, had sheep that loved to wander and they wandered into a pasture of a dishonest shepherd who claimed them as his own. The rich man offers to buy them back, but the dishonest shepherd resists. The dishonest shepherd must be defeated in court. Yet, the rich man still has to pay a great expense to the purchase price of his sheep. He brings the sheep home. But some of the sheep wander back into the flock of the dishonest shepherd. Now have all the sheep been redeemed? Of course they have. (laughs) They've all been bought back and the price, not with gold or silver, but with the holy precious blood, the price, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. But some of them wander back. So they've redeemed only to wander back into death. Still, the redemption is for all the sheep, but only some of the sheep get the benefit through faith. And there we are, right back again to "I believe," I do have faith in this. I do believe that He is uh, uh, that He is my Lord,
0: and that's language that I just say. Sometimes we can get uncomfortable with because you know, my Jesus. You know, some right. people would say. Or we we speak about a kind of like this buddy Jesus um, or buddy Christ I think it was in a movie I watched once and it and it, it it's that it's that understanding of that this Jesus has died for me which is a basic you know we're able to say this as as preachers is you know Christ has died for you and we're able to confess that Jesus died for me and so to say my Lord this is also in I know my Redeemer lives my Jesus still the same is language is said there too so I. I, I had to kind of fight that part of this creed, like, Oh, the, the explanation. I'm like, well, my Lord, you know, is that, is that Lutheran? Um, I suppose <laughs> it is because Luther wrote it, but uh, it's that wonderful reality that not only is it that he has died for the, all the sheep, which is this great comfort because I'm able to, if he died for all the sheep, guess what that means? That he died for me, right? which is uh, I, I, one of the, I think one of the most, uh, I want to say personal, if I dare say, a good feeling that I get from this <laughs> is that an understanding that he died for me, which is a wonderful comfort that I have found um, in the creed. So any thoughts on that? I thought that was an interesting uh, yes. wording by Luther. I'm
1: glad you brought that up because nothing can be written so well, even Luther, even by Luther that it can't be perverted into something not good. So, right. But, and that brings me back to the, <laughs> I don't want to beat the dead horse, but maybe I do. It brings me back to the, making the confession of faith because it's, <laughs> You know, I'm making the confession, but this is the confession of the church. This is the true Orthodox confession of the church. So that prevents it from being something um, just, you know, my Jesus, um, my theology. So, for example, just yesterday I had a phone call from um, not a member of a church complaining about one of my pastors. And she said to me, it's a lengthy conversation. And she said to me, well, my God I, f- I find my God when I walk my dog on Sunday mornings and the sun comes up and I feel God. And I, obviously, I had to be very careful how I responded to her. But what I'm thinking is, but there's no confession of faith. There's no orthodox confession with the whole church there. It's just how you made yourself feel, what you think or what you feel about God. And that's very dangerous. And that's kind of what you were saying about
0: mm-hmm. you know, we can get
1: off on this. Well, my God does this and my God does that, but it's absolutely um, cut off from any orthodox uh, uh, churchly confession of faith. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. And I thank you, uh, uh, Pastor Finner, and I thank you for doing this program because it's it's spectacular (laughs) to say to the people of God, yes, we confess the faith together and we confess it to the world. And we use this orthodox formula the, the creed to do that. And the world desperately, desperately needs to hear an Orthodox confession. And it desperately needs to see us live that confession.
0: And this clarity is so, I wanna to go to the second paragraph of the explanation mm-hmm. because exactly how how you said this is it, it, it is very clear. One, one, one person that I spoke to at seminary, he, he's now a pastor, but he did not grow up in the faith. And he remember going to some churches that just weren't real clear in what they actually believed. And when he read the small catechism, he just said it was like I was a thirsty, um, almost dying person in the desert and someone gave me water for the first time. Mm. That it was so clear and so gratifying and so needed that it was not only like a nice dessert to a meal, but it was sustenance for my whole life. And I thought that was very very um, helpful, especially for a cradle Lutheran like myself, that's just kind of always been part of my life. And to realize that, no, I am that lost and condemned person. So I want to read that second paragraph and to even more fully be able to confess exactly what Pastor Forky has been speaking of. He says, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood, and with his innocent suffering and death. Now, Pastor, this—this is the heart of everything. I mean, we could—we we have you know forty minutes left, and we could spend definitely every single second on this paragraph. Where do you want to begin?
1: Yeah. So I, I mentioned purchased in one, and I just wanted to make that point. I, I think that it's—it is significant that we kind of parse out um, Luther's understanding of redeemed. So. Most of your listeners probably don't remember the Green Stamp <laughs> Redemption centers. Um, that's from a day no. Why Does that even click a bell at all, ring a bell for you? Not
0: for me, no. Mm-mm. Okay,
1: I probably shouldn't bring it up. But in the old days, there, the stores used to give away green stamps and you could redeem them. So the store was buying back the stamps for some prize or whatever, whatever. Um, you can think of examples today, um, but that's kind of, you know, growing up in that day, it's it's a was a good example to me of redemption. Someone gave you something, they, they bought it back. So, and, but how does it, how does that happen? So Luther expands with purchased and won. So, um, and and then further explains what, what the purchase price was, but I think that's important. So we belong to God because he created us. All human beings belong to God because he created us. Um, and then we, like that sheep in my parable, they wander away. We wander away. That's that's sin, and so that's what it, what he means when he says lost and condemned. We're lost, n- not you know just because of the things in the world, but because our sin causes us to wander away from him. We can't find our way back, so we're lost. And then b- because we're lost, we're then we're condemned. So what does he do? Well, he doesn't just say, yeah. Uh, Good for you. Everyone needs to make their own way. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Because that's another one of the things the world says, right? Uh, you'll hear parents say, well, we want our children to choose their own way. Uh, they're lost and condemned. They can't do that. Anyway, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i better not go off on that too much. But um, so he pays the price. And so in the, in the little parable, I tell the rich man, even though there's resistance, he ultimately ends up paying the price, so there's the purchased, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. The whole life of Jesus, his active and his his passive obedience is the price that God paid, that God paid. God loved the world that he gave his son, so there's the payment kind of language. He purchases us, and then the one part is very very interesting. <clears throat> I think we probably may not spend enough uh, time on that. Um, that is that he won us back from Satan. So we're in the wrong flock and Satan claims us as his own, but God says, no, they belong to me. There's resistance and he has to defeat Satan. That's, uh, that's what Luther has in, in the original German. German it's Gavonen, He He won us back. So it's this. So here's Hebrews 2.14. Uh, you may know that text. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part, partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. So there's the one part. And so there's kind of two parts of that redemption as Luther uses, explains it in his explanation here. He um, Purchased us with his holy precious blood. And he won us by destroying, defeating the devil and claiming, reclaiming us as his own. That's redemption.
0: Well, I, I tell you what, I've never, I mean, I've, I've thought of it that way, but that is a very clear teaching, especially in light of Hebrews 2, verse 14. So I want to I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break, but we need to take our break. So we are citing the second article of the Creed in Luther's Fall Catechism, and we'll be right back. Hello friends, I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back. We are studying the second article of the Creed and Luther Small Catechism with President Terry Forkey of the Montana District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Now, now President Forkey, it, it, it's very clear. He goes, It is my Lord who has redeemed me and a reminder of our identity, a lost and condemned person. And it, like you said, that redemption is He has uh, destroyed death and the devil. That this redemption, it is fully paid for by his uh, blood, not by anything we imagine in this side of, of eternity as far as um, gold or silver. And, and the words really do flow. So I'm trying to think of what the next step is, because that redemption flows throughout this whole paragraph. What's your next thought?
1: So I, I would like to go back um, just for your readers to kind of round out, because in Luther's explanation, he um, doesn't do a whole lot with true God and true man. So perhaps mm-hmm. we better do that um, just to sure. fill out the picture. And and in, in, again, in Luther's explanation, he says the whole thing is about redemption. And, and he actually says, uh, I'm sorry, this is in the in the large catechism. He actually says everything else simply clarifies how that redemption was accomplished. But he's not trying to be dismissive of everything else. Um, actually, he writes very Briefly in the large catechism, which is unusual for him about the second article. So uh, let's just look at some of the everything else that's in there. And so in the creed, we we do read um, that Jesus is um, uh, born of the Virgin Mary. So he, he really is, uh, I'm sorry, he's, uh, 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 his only son. Uh, tr- he really is true God. So we could do the whole rest of the rest of the radio program on true God, but let's just make it short. God loved us so much that he came, that he promised to, and then fulfilled his own promise to come and save us himself. He had to do it. We were lost and condemned. We couldn't make our way back. And he is also true man, Luther notes. He became one of us. Uh, He became one of us to bear our burdens for us. Or again, just to cite that Hebrews two passages, very important passage. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. So he becomes a man for the sake of not only bearing our burdens, uh, daily burdens, but also to be able to bear death for us. Now that this is a mystery that I can't explain. I've never heard anyone else. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Pastor Fanner can do it for us. Oh boy! But, yeah. So, what does it mean that he, that true true man died, but also true God died? Well, that's too big for me. I believe it. I confess it. But there it is. Um, he is true man and true God, and he came into this world and was um, became our redeemer. He purchased and won us.
0: I I can't I'm gonna I'm just gonna confess the same thing that well the creed confesses, scripture confesses, and what Luther confessed, and what you just confessed. So I I'll just submit to those <laughs> simply simple words as you said. How does that happen? Well, Lord have mercy, help us to understand, but to know that if, if God was willing to die and for me and rise for me. Um, well, that's 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 important things that we should probably be focusing on every day of our lives and to give thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So other other thoughts you have in the second paragraph, like you said, such rich language. I, I love this. And I want to hear your thoughts. Purchase and one me, like you mentioned, redemption from all sins. I love how he puts it in there. You know, we can easily say, well, maybe not that one. No, oh, he says, you know, if you look at the cross. Has he, you know, what sin did he not die for? And that's a good, good thought, is all sins from death and from the power of the devil. Now, Pastor, you already talked about this power of the devil that we hear from Hebrews chapter 2. What does that mean? Like you said, the devil does not want us to confess Christ. But when we do, there, he's defeated that. So what does that mean for the Christian?
1: Right. So um, I think it's unfortunate, but sometimes people, well, we kind of go two ways with Satan. Sometimes we just, we allow ourselves to turn him into this cartoon character, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. red long johns and pointy tail and horns and, and uh, he's not very powerful. On the other hand, sometimes we think, Oh, maybe maybe if you watch too many horror movies, you're just walking down the street and all of a sudden this (laughs) evil creature comes down and grabs you and possesses you. Um, I, I, those are confessions of the world, and they're very dangerous uh, to our spiritual welfare. We ought to confess uh, with the scripture, yes, he is an evil, vile, cowardly creature, and his sole uh, purpose and intent is to destroy faith on earth. That's what he wants to do, and, uh, and he will use whatever he can use. Um, not, not that he's all-powerful, but that he, he is powerful but there is one little word that can fell him. And I know that I know there's a debate about what Luther actually meant about that in, in um, mighty fortress, but I think it's the word is Jesus. Hmm. Speak the name of Jesus. And that's why I think it's important for us to, when we make the confession to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. When we feel like, uh, there's, um, no way out, no, no answer, no solution. Maybe Satan is tightening the noose, as I mentioned earlier. That's the confession that we make. And, and that name is powerful. After all, this is, this is what Paul wrote in Philippians, right? At, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So it is a powerful name. And, it, and when it's spoken as a, as a living confession of faith, it is, it is very helpful. And so I would say that's kind of how, you know, how we ought to think about um, the action of the redemption of Jesus and redeeming us from the power of the devil. Let me go back to all sins, so, since you made mm-hmm,
0: point mm-hmm. of
1: that. Um, also very important. We have in our confession, uh, excuse me, in our liturgy, a corporate confession. And that means... We all confess together. And and that's good. And and it's healthy. And it it is a part of the consolation of the brethren in the confessing the faith. But there may be a a circumstance where when I'm making a confession in a corporate setting, that is in, in the church, I might be thinking to myself, yeah, but... You don't know what I'm really like. You don't know how bad of a person I am, or you don't know what I did last summer. Uh, very dangerous. And so we might reserve some sins as if they are too bad or uh, or too big, uh, too gruesome. And and so these words are important. We confess that is redeem me from all sins. Now, I would just say to your listeners, if you find yourself or ever have found yourself in such a circumstance where you're questioning the effectiveness of the corporate absolution, where you say with everyone else, I, a poor, miserable sinner, and your pastor says to you on the basis of this confession or by your confession, I, by virtue of my office, there is an opportunity for you to go to your pastor in private confession, and every pastor is prepared to listen to this. There's an opportunity for you to go to your pastor in private confession and say, this particular sin is bothering me. And I need to hear not just a sort of general corporate absolution, but I need to hear the words of my pastor speaking the words of Jesus, my Savior, to me that I'm forgiven even for these or even for this sin, this horrific sin that is that is still binding me, that's bothering me. And every pastor is, is is going to be able to hear your confession and offer you the absolution in the name of Jesus Christ in a private setting so that you can hear the words of Jesus applied to you. All sins.
0: This is where... <laughs> the, the... All does not mean it's not for you, which is just this great comfort. And and how that was accomplished is just this part, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death, which reaffirms the Godhead of Jesus. Um, and it reaffirms the, the the forgiveness that comes from the blood. And this is clearly, he's quoting in part in First Peter chapter 1, which says, you know, not redeemed with corruptible things as silver or gold from your vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so it's just this language just uh, to me it just flows from the tongue, and it, I, I get I, I it's such comfort every time that I hear these, and they just flow so beautifully. For us, are reminded of who we are in Christ and who Christ is for us. Your thoughts.
1: Yes, uh, we should make a point of the blood. Um, When Luther uh, speaks of the blood and includes it in this explanation, um, we ought not overlook it because in our day, blood is not perceived to mean the same thing that it did at the time of Christ or certainly at the time of Luther. Um, Today, we've been sort of trained to think of blood as, well, gets used in horror movies or whatever. We think of it as, as icky, as dirty. Um, I remember circumstance in, this would have been in probably about 1986. uh, Maybe a little bit later. I don't remember. One of my members was in a car accident and uh, the guy that ran into her uh, cut himself in the accident and he got out of his car and then laid down on the On the street and she being a very comforting person ran over to try and comfort him and the crowd had gathered already and they were yelling at her don't touch the blood don't touch the blood Mm -hmm. because that way people my age will remember that was the time of the beginning of the aids problem and and everyone was scared of bodily fluids and blood became from that moment on i think still blood became even more of a curse So reading this blood as the purchase price, as a wonderful thing, is is so counterculture that you have to take some time to explain it. What does blood do in the body? Well, it cleanses. That's how God created the human body. And so he doubles down on the parable of blood in the body by pouring out the blood of his son, Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So um, I I also say that Luther uses blood, you know, he packs a lot into that. So it's sort of shorthand for the the whole nine yards. And so we have to go from there, the cleansing power of the blood. And and that was the purchased and won, that's what it does. It it purchases and, and wins us by cleansing us from all sin. So now we belong to him. And then there's even more to the story because he gives us his blood along with his body to strengthen and encourage and nurture our faith. So there's the purchase price. It wasn't just the purchase was done then, but we are constantly reminded of that purchase price. Every time we come to the table and receive the body and blood of our savior.
0: And it it's you're right in our culture. The idea of blood and in scripture, it speaks about without the for, without blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so it's hard for us to imagine a scenario in our culture where blood would have that kind of saving element unless you need to receive a transfusion, unless, you know, you are, are one that has other issues that involve the blood. The new blood is new life. And now and then that points us because our natural reaction is, well, don't touch the blood. Don't. Don't have that any kind of transfer of any of that. But then if you talk to someone who's a hemophiliac or whatever, they need that blood. And that is a source of life. Or if you donate plasma from that blood, it gives new medicines and new life and all this. So it, it is actually very relatable in the right context. We don't hear of it much, but in the right context of saying there is life in that blood. And if it's perfect blood, but well, my goodness, it gives me new life. And so that's what purchase and one me in that sense is so much more powerful because it is god's blood it is perfect blood that he has given for me any other thoughts on on where we're up to this point uh, we have about uh, 15 minutes left in our time and we have a lot of good stuff still to cover so you have any other gems that you want to unpack
1: yeah i i, I appreciate that i'm glad you you brought that up otherwise some someone wanted i'm a, kind of uh, wanted to finish the thought so I'm, I'm glad you did that yes and it is an excellent um connection to uh, to our culture a way of speaking and so I will just say on that count, when we are confessing the faith and living the living the confession of faith before the world, there are these touch points in the world where we can make mm. that kind of connection. So yeah. just like you just did. Oh yes, normally we think of blood as, you know, splattered on the screen, horror and and dirty because it's dangerous to us. But think of it this way. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate your pointing that out. That's, that's excellent.
0: So pastor, let's, let's read the rest, um, of this creed because we can always come back as you've done so beautifully today, because, um, it, there's just so much here, but I want to, I want to make sure we read the rest and, and I, I want to highlight, um, something that happens at the very end and then, and then we'll come back. So it reads this that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness innocence and blessedness just as he has risen from the dead lives and reigns to all eternity this is most certainly true i want i want to highlight this because i think this connects with how you started by saying the words i believe we are confessing something that is sure and foundational and forever and then he ends the creed with, this is most certainly true. Maybe we should have said this at the beginning, but it's a fascinating um, a confession that he says, after all of it, this is most certainly true. He doesn't end with, well, at least that's my opinion. Um, any thoughts on how Luther ends this? I want to say this now because I think it really helps us as we look at all. Of it. Any, any thoughts on that last few words of Luther?
1: Excellent. Yeah, and I'm glad we, I was afraid we might run out of time to get that. So it's great to do it now. So actually um, next, let's see, what day is it? Next Tuesday, I think I'll be speaking in St. Louis about truth uh, at the Making Disciples for Life conference. Oh, yeah. And I think it's a huge issue. In fact, I I say the issue of truth is the primary issue confronting Christians today Mm. because most of the world does not believe there is such a thing as truth. And a sizable portion of the world doesn't believe, uh, not only doesn't believe that there's that, you know, such a thing exists, they don't have the category in their mind. The, the, there just isn't, you know, it's a big gap in their in their development. There is no such thing as truth. It just doesn't exist. And so when Luther is bold to add at the end of this confession, you know, on this article, and actually others, uh, uh, this is most certainly true, what he's saying is the necessary um Correction to what you were concerned about earlier about you know this becoming my Jesus, um, you know a personal thing, and Mm. I'm kind of making up my own faith. He is saying that because he knows that truth is only and always the prerogative of God. It belongs to God, not to us. In other words, God is the sole determiner of truth. He speaks it in the world, Um, and uh, and so he he's saying. This is true, not because I, I confess it or not because I, uh, um, I believe it. It's true because it is in accordance with the word of God. That's sort of the, um, the short, again, shorthand that we ought not to miss from Luther. True is an extremely important word. It doesn't belong to us. It comes to us from God and it's revealed to us in his son. Truth is revealed to us in his son, Jesus Christ. So um, let me just kind of, <laughs> let me go on, because this is a very important verse. Uh, yeah. John eighteen thirty seven. This is always kind of fun. I'll say, good Lutherans, why did Jesus come? And then they'll always say, the catechism answer, to save us from our sins. And of mm-hmm. course, that's correct. I'm not diminishing that in any way. But listen to what Jesus says in John eighteen thirty seven. This is in the section where he's talking to Pilate and the whole famous thing about truth, we Pilate says, What well, is truth? That's his response. But Jesus says, For this reason I was born, for this purpose I came into the world to testify to the truth. Now that's amazing. Given the opportunity to summarize his whole reason for being here, Jesus does it in terms of truth. So all of that is, so this is why Jesus came to testify to the truth. So all of that's packed into, I, I firmly believe, Luther, extremely conversant in the scriptures, he, when he uses the word, this is true, all that's packed in to that word there. This truth is not just my religion. I didn't make it up. It's not be confirmed because I believe it or because I say it or I'm, and I'm making up my own reality. It's true because God gives it to us. It's in his word. And that's another reason we confess the faith the way we do. We don't just make it up, and everyone doesn't get to do what's right in their own eyes. We come together, and we confess the faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit.
0: This is language that, for example, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. yes. Um, Sanctify them the truth. Your word is true, truth. And then I think about even simplistically here is, when we when we distribute and administer the sacrament of, of Christ's body and blood, the language often is. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I did have a person that that spoke about how they had grown up in a more of a evangelical church, and they would always say, "This is uh, this is this symbolizes right or
1: represents Christ,
0: you know or represents." or even you know some you know some other churches that are more in line with us as lutherans would say something that the body of christ which is not a bad language but th- she said i noticed a difference when you said the true body of christ the true blood of christ that that is very much so there's a comfort in those words one because jesus says so right that the, the truth is him and truth is there so that people will know the truth and the truth will set you free i mean the language is all throughout the scriptures so i would encourage you listeners if you want to do a study, maybe you want to send it to President Forkey on the word, the usage of truth. Um, actually, have it done in a week so he can use it for his <laughs> presentation, maybe. Anyways, but there's a lot there for us to unpack as well. Is In a world of anti-truth, we have the truth. In a world of questions, we have truth. And, and who is that truth? It's always found in Christ. So, Pastor, we only have a few minutes. I do want to get to a few points here as we look at truth. it it, it brings up the question that I think naturally flows through as you hear all this, that this God is my Lord. So I have that identity. He's redeemed me. He's, he's found me. He's purchased me all of this with his own innocent suffering and death. And then the question comes up, why would he do so? And it says right there that I may be his own. So I think right there, that, that possessive, that he has claimed us as his own, almost like the father running to the prodigal son type of language. He embraces him and that is our identity with Christ. And that's pretty powerful. What are your thoughts?
1: Yes, so very good. So that paragraph is uh, the like the purpose paragraph. Why did he do this? As you said it, he did it so that we might. So it's that's the purchase. And then the result of the purchase is mm-hmm. the redemption, the purchase in one, I belong to him, so we, identity is also a huge issue, um, and, it, and it is related to the whole issue of truth. Um, mm-hmm. I won't be, I won't have time to do all that, but identity is a huge issue in our lives today. Who are we? And and sometimes mm-hmm. we kind of we wander around like sheep, trying to find an identity in, uh, let's just say, in our jobs. That's a huge one for Americans, or in our relationships with other people, or in our associations with. Um, some extracurricular activity or something like that. You know, I'm a hunter, I'm a railroad guy, I'm a teacher. Uh, We have all different ways of identifying ourselves. So if there were a phrase that might be helpful, it would be this, that I might be his own. (laughs) What is my identity? I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. And that that little word, you know, uh, those little words can really be powerful. In, in creating a, an identity um, for ourselves in the world, well, in our lives and, and in the world. Um, you know, if, if someone were to say, well, well, who are you? To be able to respond, I am his own. I belong to him. I belong to Jesus. Is, is uh, incorporating the identity that's given to us by these words.
0: And to live. So, okay. Uh, Dr Aaron uh Charles Aaron wrote a book that I may be his own and and speaks very clearly about the whole small catechism and he speaks that this book this small catechism is that uh, proclamation that you are his own which I thought was just a wonderful book uh disappointing us to this well the small catechism for the sake of identity as you said so well because how often at all stages of life at now at 42 years old almost 43, I'm kind of like, oh, I thought I would have it figured out by now. <laughs> you know, who am I? And and in, in a worldly view, I, I'm still wondering, you know, because, I, you know, uh, different stages of life and everything. But but always from baptism on, uh, I am his own. And, okay, so I'm his own. I'm with him. And, to, and then it says live under him, which can be kind of terrifying if you really listen to it. But it is under his own. Righteousness, everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Pastor, we have about four minutes left in our time. I do want you to unpack that a little bit. What is he saying that we live under this righteousness, innocence, and blessedness?
1: Okay, so yeah, that's very important. There's two words that, and one you you, you kind of got under um, to live, and that's mm-hmm. extremely important. Don't don't give that short shrift. So we were brought, we were purchased from death, as that Hebrews two passage mentioned. i already quoted that a couple times. So We are Mm -hmm. redeemed or delivered from death. So now we get to live. So we belong to him. This is our identity. And now we get to live under him. That's not, I mean, I suppose it could be understood as law, but it's not intended to be. To live under the protection of our Lord and Savior is a very good thing, right? And then the second part of it is, what are we doing as we live the life of faith? Well, to live the life of faith is to serve him. And, and in what context do you do that? Well, we are, and this is where, this is where it gets, um, it, this is where the confession really hits, the where the rubber hits the road. We often fall prey to the satanic um, confession that our sins are still held against us. But Luther, along with Paul and Colossians, makes this confession that we live and serve in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, meaning our sins have been removed from us. As far as the East is from the West, so far does he remove our sins from us? He will remember, he promises he will remember, doesn't say he's gonna forget. He says he will actively not remember our sins anymore. So dear listener, if you are a believer in Christ, this is his promise, and, and this is part of your confession, that you are now living in and serving, uh, uh, serving Christ in everlasting righteousness, not your own, but the righteousness that has been given to you in Jesus Christ, in innocence, not your own, but the, through the innocent sufferings and death of Christ, and blessedness, he is constantly blessing you. How powerful is that? This is our identity, and this is him, and now we'll get into the third article, this is his Holy Spirit living in us, in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. This is how you serve him, confessing the faith in the knowledge that you are his own.
0: Finally, with about a minute left, it tells us not only do we live, but he lives, risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. A great way to end the second article. Why is that an important piece with about a minute left?
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah. So so (laughs) this is great because Luther returns... You know, he, he talks about our sort of our response. We'll say we, we live and serve. But then he returns to the most important part. And that is that Jesus is now living. I have a pet peeve when uh, you know, um, my catechetical students or my members will say uh, Jesus was or Jesus did or something like that. And, or they'll say uh, Jesus died for our sins. And I'll always say, please, please don't leave Jesus dead because mm. he's not dead. He is alive, and we have a habit in, our, in my congregations of at the Lord's Supper in order to, to remind ourselves that every Sunday is a little Easter um, uh, after I distribute the Lord's Supper. The way I dismiss them is I say, He is risen, and they respond, He is risen indeed, hallelujah, after receiving the Lord's Supper. It's a way of reminding ourselves, just like Luther does. I love that. He goes through the whole thing of what he calls all the rest or everything else. He says everything else. It simply ex- explains how this redemption occurred, and then he comes back, bam! Right, right, you know, sort of like two by four across the forehead, even as he lives and reigns through all eternity. It's, it's a marvelous way to end.
0: And it is because alleluia, Christ is risen, he has risen indeed. Alleluia. <laughs> President President Terry Forkey of the Montana District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, clearly confessing the fullness of Christ from the second article of the Creed. President Forkey, thank you for being with us on Concord Manners.
1: Yes, thank you so much.
0: I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.